But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Look at the detail on this. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent out a raven and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now it came about in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to Himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Chapter 8 of Genesis. Now, there are some really cool things in this chapter. You know, stuff we've heard before, but I think we have to appreciate Noah here of the time that he's in the ark. We've all been in the ark when there have been floods, disaster going on all around us. And some of the things that we feel at that time are maybe not so good. He's been at sea for a year. Now, we know he's a man of faith, right? And it's it's all because of God that he's a man of faith. And he was blameless. Chapter 6, verse 5 tells us about his character. But we also know he's human. And he and his family are in a really lonely place. Things are going on. Imagine drifting in a ship. You know, like kind of like what we saw there. Not for one night. 
Not for a weekend. Not for a week. And not for just a month. Night after night after night. Month after month after month. And you're still in this thing. And you don't have any idea where you're going to wind up. You don't have any idea what things are going to look like once you come out of there. And you don't know when this is going to be. And you've been in there for over like a year. I mean, think about it. Johnny and Frieda moved here about a year ago. About the equivalent to the way that flood was. Can you imagine being in something where you couldn't see out? All you knew that there had been rain and you're just, you're just floating along. And you couldn't get out and do anything for that time period. I mean... Can you imagine what's going through the head? They're not getting any information. God is saying, okay, this is day 45 of the flood. You have these many days left now. No calendar. I mean, well, you know. And knowing that there are only people left. Yes. What is going through their mind? What's that? Well, when you when you count all of this, if you start with in the um, let's say Genesis seven four and ten eleven, it says in the six hundredth year of Noah, that's the second month and the tenth day, right? That's when Noah entered the ark. Then you keep going in the six hundredth year of Noah. Uh, okay, the flood began. That was on the seventeenth day. Then. Uh, in Genesis 7, verse 12 and 17 and 24 and then in 8, also 1, the waters flooded the earth for how many days? 150 days, right? And that, that means you had the 40 days, 40 nights within that. Okay. Then in uh, Genesis 7, 24 and 8, 1, the waters began to recede. That's the seventh month and the seventh day. See, all of this is just documented. God gives us so much detail on here. I don't think you could see this kind of record on any kind of, of um, uh, flood victims. You know that from the moment you went into the ark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then all the way down, the, um, he he had waited. And, you know, after the water dried up and everything, he waited one month and twenty six days before he. Uh, got out of the ark. And that was the second month, the 27th day of his 601st year. So it's not the 600th year, it's 601st year. So from the time that started until that, it lasted a year and 10 days. If you go from Genesis 7-11 all the way to Genesis 8-14. Now, is that incredible? So how old were his sons? Let's see, 100 was the oldest one. At 500 years old is where he had uh, the older one. And the other one would be a little younger than that. <laughs> Five five hundred was when Noah had. That's, now that and I know the, the the secular world has got to be yeah right sure. At that time, there were still pups. Yeah, they were they were pups at a hundred. <laughs> so I yeah, at a hundred. Yeah, you're six hundred, and I know I've got five hundred years on that. Those teenagers. <laughs> now think, you're in that, you're in that ark, and you're. 
<laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, we, won't, we won't bother. That could take the rest of the night. The night's about you. Did they have cold No. I think we're going there. Moving on. <laughs> That's when you'd start thinking about, has God forgotten us? <laughs> uh, have you ever been there? Have you ever been that thinking that, does God hear my prayers? Has, has God forgotten all about me? Well, Robert Candlish, uh, who wrote a commentary back in the 1800s, really had some pretty neat thoughts on this. He said this, Far down in the unfathomable depths below lies a dead and buried world. Okay, You're up above it on this boat, and, you, and just like what Penny said, you're the only ones. Everything else is dead. It's underneath. Noah, shut up in a narrow prison, seems to be abandoned to his fate. He cannot help himself. And in this universal visitation of sin, this terrible reckoning with sinners, this flood, why should he obtain mercy? What is he that when all else are taken, that he should be left in his family? May he not be righteously suffered to perish after all? Is he not a sinner like the rest? Does he not feel himself the chief of sinners? See, Noah's just like everybody else except God by His grace saved him, right? Noah's very spirituality would have opened him up to such feelings. And when he thought like this, he would have felt himself to be abandoned by his heavenly Father much more keenly than I ever felt abandoned by an earthly father. A year, you don't see any documentation here where God talks to him. He says, get in the boat. And then after that year and ten days are done, he says, get out of the boat. We don't see anything where God's talking to him all along. And that would be the way it is with God. God talks to us through His Word, but we don't hear Him audibly. And when we're going through the real storms, we don't really hear Him coming along outside of the Word of God. Uh, we don't hear any real encouragement. Okay, this is going to be over pretty soon. You wonder, how long is this going to be? How long God is... I've been through this for a long time now, right? Have we ever felt abandoned like that? I think, yeah, we have. Um, I think that's why this chapter is so important. Uh, Look in Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk. That's in the prophecy section near the end of the back of the Old Testament. Habakkuk. Not tobacco, but Habakkuk. And it's his last chapter. And it's the last verses almost. Okay. Habakkuk is before Zephaniah. You know where that's at? That's before Haggai. You got it? Yeah, and you said it good too. Some people say Habakkuk. Okay, look at it. You guys have heard this before, but this this might have you know this was written much later. But I'm I'm wondering if Noah thought something like that. Have we ever thought like this? Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail. Seventeen, three seventeen, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Man, that sounds bad, doesn't it? Take away everything. Just level it all off. Just nothing left. And he says in 18, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And he says, The Lord God is my strength. He's made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. You know what? There's a lot of practical things happening here in this ark. I think that's good for us today. 
we can trust God during the really rough times or times that we don't know what's going on. We, we know we're in the ark, but sometimes we don't know what's going on. And then look at Amos. Amos chapter 9. I think. I know. We're, we're working it out. Now go back, go back towards just a little bit back before that. Previously, before Habakkuk. You have Amos, then Obadiah, and then Jonah. You know, Jonah, little book, you know. Mike. We are going to Amos. That famous chapter that you've probably been reading for the last two or three months. Uh, chapter 9, verse 13. Behold, days are, are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweep wine and all the hills will be dissolved. Also I will restore the captivity of My people Israel and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. Now, now, this was after after the flood, obviously, written uh, much into uh, the future, but he's looking ahead to the days of restoration. Israel's going to be judged, but yet what's going to happen after that judgment is that God still has a plan for His people. So, even while we're in our ark, we know what's going to happen as a result of this, right? And so Noah, um, I think, being a, a man of faith, knew that God was going to bring him through something, but when you're going through it, it's pretty upsetting, isn't it? He's a human. He's a human like us. So, from that, that's Noah's point of view. And I think that's the way that we would be. I think it would be, could be very close. Um, now, from God's viewpoint, you have an anthropomorphism, right? We're going back to Genesis. And, and the key word there is remembered. But God remembered. Now, it's not that he forgets. It's not that he's senile. It's not that he has dementia. But um, he uses that where humans can understand what he's saying here. Yeah, God knew exactly what was going uh, along that whole time. He never forgot Noah. He's all right there with Noah the whole time. But, you know, there's really... Nothing is recorded here that God has been speaking to him. There's no word from him. And then God speaks. The dark clouds are turned into the, the as far as light, you know, in the sense that now the, the good times are coming. There's hope. There's hope in knowing that God has not acted um, in your life for a long time and He's not ever going to speak to you again. You know, it's, it, there's hope knowing that God's doing something here. And I don't know what it is. But I know that this is going to work for good. I feel uncomfortable, <laughs> right? But I know it's there. Isn't this practical? In the meantime, we don't have any word from God other than right here, and this is the best thing we can get, but He doesn't give us maybe the details, when, what, why, all of that personally. But God remembers. And, and this is the first time you see that, where it says God remembers. Now, on your outlines, I probably put some passages like Genesis nineteen twenty nine, thirty twenty two, Psalm nine twelve, Psalm one thirty six twenty three. It's about God remembering. It's not that God forgot, right? But that's why we call that an anthropomorphism. It's something that we can understand. God uses a language, gets on our level, and we can say, "Oh, yeah, God remembered. He, he knew all along." But it's, it's saying, "Okay, now it's time to do something." God remembered in, in three ways. Uh, back to our Genesis. 
We're doing a little bit different verse-by-verse study in Genesis uh, in on these chapters. Have you noticed that? We're kind of going back and forth through different verses. But, um, but God remembered, in verse 1, Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind, we'll come back to that, to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained. Okay, he's doing some things here, isn't he? Uh, read verse 4 too, let's see. Uh, here, at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. So here's God doing His thing, and, uh, we, and uh, we see that He began to remove the water. And it's all perfect timing, exactly the way that He did it. We wouldn't want it any other way, would we? But while we're in their ark, not knowing what it is, we would like to think, well... Tomorrow. I'd like it to be tomorrow. But still, he has his perfect timing. Uh, verse 2, you, you get the... Uh, uh, oh, wait. Um, maybe it's in verse 1. God caused a wind. God caused a wind to pass over the earth. Why would he have the wind to do that? It's going to be drying it up, right? But... The wind there is the same word as uh, the Hebrew word is ruach, and we ran into that before in Genesis one, whenever he caused the spirit to hover over the the waters, right? The spirit or wind, ruach means that spirit or wind, and it's almost like Noah is kind of going back and having a um, a thought of creation. Now, whether and as Moses is the one who's writing this. But who knows, maybe Noah is handing this down, but Moses gets inspired and writes this. Is, Mo, is Moses thinking of this? Um, don't know. Um, but it kind of takes you back to uh, creation in a, in a sense. As a result of the flood, the earth returns to its form like just the way it was described in Genesis 1, where you have the waters. It was dark. There's no life. Well, you have the eighth so, on the earth. What's your opinion when there's a recreation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Picture of a recreation. The Spirit of God begins to blow, right? Just as, as He did in Genesis 1 there. Uh, the waters are, are separated from the dry land here, right? Because after a year, everything is totally destroyed. Trees don't mature. I mean, even in a year. Even, yes, but whatever tree you can think of, you wouldn't have enough to talk about the olive branch. <laughs> I'm having a lot of trouble with that, too. I mean, you wouldn't. I'm thinking of the flood of '93 and how long things were underwater. And when the water went away, it wasn't pretty. Oh, it was ugly. It stunk. And I'm thinking, where did that dove find that olive branch? Question. Yeah. God can God can have certain things that's already yeah, there yeah. for them. They went you know. out from the ark and they planted a garden. It was God's thing. <laughs> it had to be. It had to be something like a recreation because things just don't come back. It took forever. It took a long time for things to turn green and begin to grow. And even after our little local flood. But by the time that they were on the mountain. Yeah. Drive all the way down there. They had to climb off the mountain. Number one, that would take a long time. You know, that's the water was they were they were up there a long time while the water was drying up. 
thought too because he does the rainbow thing have you ever noticed that has God ever I was talking with Carolyn this morning or today about this but have you ever noticed every once in a while God has given you some kind of something whenever you don't have almost any hope and then all of a sudden he just kind of brings along a little bit of a sign or a little bit of hope that you never thought of before it's something that really means something but it's it could be really really small it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot to it, and uh, I, I use the example in, in in our case, you know, the uh, uh, what was it, the rose um, moss rose. When we first moved to our house, we didn't have anything there. There was not a plant, believe it or not. We had nothing there for the first three years or so, you know. And uh, next thing, you know, she looked out there, and there was a little little moss rose. I didn't see it. Never. I've never, I've never yeah. lived there. And never have we ever since since that came up. We didn't have anything else at the time, but believe it or not, that was like a, a, a neat little sign. Uh, and you know, it was really meaningful though to Carolyn. It really meant a lot. And since then, we've never had any more of those come back. Why was that? Why did that grow there? You know. So you know. Because she planted her own plants and shook them all out. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. That's what we were thinking. We're, it's definitely different the way it was, but uh, yeah, uh, you know. But that assures you sometimes that when you're going through some kind of endurance or some things are not going the way that you like, and God, every once in a while, uh, not by mere chance, but rather just, and it's a loving part of the plan of God. And it might seem kind of miraculous, and He can do that. And so within all this, almost everything is natural. You know, we're looking for natural responses, and that's the way it almost always is. But God could do some things, and you're like, we're talking about the fish. I'm going to do some more research on that. It's hard to find that in commentaries. I've been asking that for years, and the deal with the uh, the fig leaf. Uh, or, not fig leaf, the olive leaf. I've asked that for a long time. And, but, what, you know, when the animals are... If, if it was like a flood area... What did the animal eat? There was nothing. It would have been... Well, that's, yeah. they would have had to hang around and, and eat the... Yeah, they had plenty of food there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I think we're trying to be too scientific and overanalyze this instead of just expecting... Well, I just like this whole, yeah, the whole idea yeah. that this, uh, this uh, wind blowing over the earth, I think that that, that probably mm-hmm. does reflect creation. Well, you remember the... Uh, oh, oh, how about the, the, the Red Sea? And whenever there was a, you remember that, right. and they went through there, and then he caused that wind the whole night. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it dried it up, right. and of course, then they were able to go through, and then then the water came back. But he dried it up so much that whenever they walked through there, they probably had to knock the dust off, you know. But somehow, how can you have that much wind in one night to to make that happen? Well, that there was a miraculous event happening, and at the same time, using natural means. 
And I think God sometimes can use that. Almost all of this is natural, but I think there are some probably some things that we may not be able to explain. And we say, okay, well, God can do that. Sure. But if it's a scientific thing that comes up later on that somebody discovers, you go, okay, that's pretty cool. Like, like, like that leaf, you know, coming up. Maybe there's something. Maybe it's been long enough that I don't know. I won't, I won't try to explain it, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're not tall. They can last a long time. They can last thousands of years. Well, there you go. See, they last thousands of years. She says, once a year, they last. There you go. They're a little overwatered. Overwatered, yeah. It was in the process, right? How did you get off the mountain with all the mammals? You opened the door and said, that away. One new problem. Take off. No problem. with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that's with you and so on, right? Go out. Move on. And, you know, he must ask, you know, uh, there's no new word until this. And you know he's got to be, all this time, Noah's got to be saying, what's going on? Why are we sitting here? What, what is happening? And does God ever seem like he's silent? And is that what faith is <laughs> missed the boat, yeah. Is that what faith is about? We live by and not by and Noah is in the hall of faith. He had to just believe. But that means you can still and we're having all sorts of questions, that's good. Because we're thinking. We're thinking, well, how do, how could this happen? What's why is that there? But God is not silent through all this, right? And you wonder if God even hears you. And when God did speak, though, what happened? What did Noah? What was Noah's response? He obeyed. He got out. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> you know. But that's what he did. And you'll obey God best 
if you've been practicing obedience during the dark hours. How's that? Does that make sense? Does that tie in? Even when we don't know. Yeah, but you don't get yourself wrong when you say, you know, because I'm thinking, don't you think maybe sometimes Noah or his wife or his sons and their wives got really desperate and thought they were the ones being punished and all the dead people were the lucky ones? Yeah, they're out of here, right? I'm saying, why did you say me? I mean, this is a long time. I can't imagine not flaring. Oh, yeah. And they're the only ones left. Yeah, new land. Everything's changed. Why? The humanness that's involved in this. It's, uh, it's incredible.